Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt the bops. It's really, it's important. Um, good morning. Um, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm the person who's supposed to be preaching today, and I hopefully will do that. Um, some of you have met me before and kind of know my, my background, but I'll just give you a, a moment here. Hold on. I got to start my timer because I have served in kids' ministry before in my life, and I know... You don't want to make 30 minutes longer than 30 minutes. All right. Not that kids aren't wonderful, but, you know, it's a range. All right. So, there's people laughing. People laughing, got to have kids. I know they do. Anyway, I'm going to trip over that. All right. So, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Sam. Uh, I am a graduate student at UNC. I study political science and philosophy. Uh, and so that probably will come out today. It will be obvious that I do study those things. Um, but I promise I'm not uh, bringing them to the text. The text has got them already. Um, so I just want to start by saying something that I, I think about quite a lot in, in church. And that is that I'm going to say some things here. And I'm going to say them because I believe them. And I can forget that I believe them if I just come into church and kind of let church happen. So the first thing is that God exists. Just that really think, really think about what that means. It really, if it's true, we ought to take it seriously. The second thing is, is that God is in the room. And God is in you. That's a lot to take up. If that wasn't enough... It's also true that the power that brought Jesus out of the grave is in you. That's a lot to deal with. Christ, you are Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would act and move us. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you the optimistic, uh, optimistic grace thing here. Hopefully it should come up on the screen. So we believe, this is, this is from the Love Chapel Hill website, we believe that grace has the strength to work its way into every corner of who we are, leaving no part untouched and unchanged. We preach, expect, experience, and celebrate real transformation in the real lives of real people. We are an experiment in grace. Let's see where this adventure takes us. Now, my task is to tell you about this story and tell you how it connects to this idea of optimistic grace. That's a big challenge, as you'll see with the text, but you will hopefully, hopefully find it. Um, yeah, all right. So, a quick caveat before we begin. Like, this story is going to talk about uh, a demon-possessed man and his release from possession by Jesus. Now, people like, well, people mistakenly make this story about mental illness, or they mistakenly make it only about spiritual things. So we're not going to do that, because to make people only about, to, to kind of collapse what human beings are only into what their mind is doing, or only to what this what spiritual things are doing, or only physical stuff, or only emotional stuff, is to collapse human beings into something less complex than they are. And this story just is not about mental illness. So that was just my stern, stern moment. You can talk to me later if, 
if you would like. If you have any challenge, I ask you to seek out someone who knows a lot about that thing. If you're sick, find a doctor. If you are unwell in various ways, find people who know how to address that. All right, enough kind of clearing the air. We're back to this optimistic grace point. We've got to get to the text. So just before I do that, I'll read this again. We believe that grace has the strength to work its way into every corner of who we are, leaving no part untouched and unchanged. We preach, expect, experience, and celebrate real transformation in the real lives of real people. We are an experiment in grace, and let's see where this adventure takes us. So what, what is it actually that we're supposed to be optimistic about? And this is partly what this story is about. So if we could go to the text... Amanda, thank you for running slides, Amanda. Um, absolutely. So this is in Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, 1 through 20. They, that is Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. He lived there. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So yet he was strong, but he was not well. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, I adjure you, I ask you, please, 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 by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, that is, Jesus was saying to the possessed man, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked this man, this man who was too strong to be bound. What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That is, not to send Legion out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. So Jesus gets asked by the demon legion, and, and Jesus gives this demon permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, it's a lot of pigs, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. It's a long, it's a long passage. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. There's people around watching this. It was somebody's pigs got destroyed anyway, Right? And people came to see what, what, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, the person who they, they couldn't bind and who they could not control and who was unwell out in the tombs, sitting there in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had, had, who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. That is, he, he wanted to go with Jesus. 
And he did not permit him. That is, Jesus said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, this group of ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. All right. So, I have a short version of the big idea, but I want to spell it out for you. This is something I do for my students. I kind of tell them what the main takeaway is. The story of Jesus and the demon-possessed man shows the power and love of Jesus to give us reason to believe that grace disrupts oppression, even the oppression of spiritual and worldly darkness, the evil embodied in the oppressive power of the Roman Empire and the group of demons named Legion. But that doesn't actually complete the story, right? It's not just a story of a man released. It's not enough to be freed from oppression and loneliness and despair. We also have to be brought into a loving and grace-filled and supportive community. We need more than to leave a graveyard. We also need to enter into something lovely and good and grace-filled. Now, all right, I've got to kind of undo some of the things you're already thinking. So go, go on to this next slide. Let's just, oh, back one. I don't want to give up, give up the game too quick. So this is a quick, a quick word on exorcism, right? So probably you've seen some movie with an exorcism in it, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But chances are, whatever kicked off this possession was probably like somebody didn't get baptized or they read some Latin out of a book they found in a creepy place. Or maybe, maybe, they were an especially pious person. And so the story is that this especially pious person was challenged with this demon possession. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I think about all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you that that's not what this story is about. That story is not about some individual who did something wrong and ended up possessed. Right? You just can't know what's going on in the context of this story and think that that's what this story is about. So it helps to know what other people have said about possession that has to do with, and I'm just going to raise some eyebrows, but that's fine. Um, it has to do with social political stuff. Right? So when you read, for example, black liberation theology, somebody like James Cone, he's saying things like, America under slavery needed to be exercised. That is, it was possessed by the spirit of domination. Right? It was a whole system that was set up in a way so that some people could possess other people. Now, I'm not just, I'm not just turning on this like extra meaning of the word possess, right? To dominate someone just means that someone's will totally controls or exercises a ton of control over someone else. Now that, I think, is the heart of what we're talking about in this story. It's not just about um, some individual person being possessed by a demon, though it is about that. It is also about systems that enable people to exercise control over other people, to dominate them. Now, so I'll submit to you that if you understand possession this way, go ahead and put up the next slide. That means you're going to start to see 
You, well, you can't see. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, you're going to start to see the idea of possession show up in lots of places you don't expect. So on, on the left here, we've got this counselor lady from the movie Get Out. Right? I mean, who's show of hands? I can see you enough. Yeah. Right. So what's that story about? It's a story about uh, white cultural and worldly power and the literal possession of black bodies by white people. Right? That's, that is, a, it's pretty on the nose once you see it. Right? A little, like, less intense is uh, Star Wars. Right? This is a, a literally an empire at the center of which is a man who lives in a cold room, lonely, and who w wishes to control others. And on the far right, you can't see, I knew, I knew I couldn't get through a whole sermon without a Lord of the Rings reference, but <clears throat> this is, this is a Dark Lord in, in this in the story, right? There's nine kings of men. They're given great rings and given great power. And over the course of nine, over course of time, another ring is made, and they come under the influence of this person, and they diminish. They become less themselves, and they use that power. They have great strength. They have great strength, but they are lonely and unwell, obsessed with this power. So slavery is a key example of understanding what possession is supposed to mean. And I'll tell you a minute about this Roman context. I'm not, not making this up. Um, but possession is another one when we're thinking about being dominated. All right. So before I kind of get back to the text, I, kinda, I wanted to wash away some of your preconception, preconceived notions about demons and all this kind of stuff. It's very easy to get into this like, well, I watched Evil Dead, Sam, so I know like, I shouldn't read weird books with Latin in them in a weird shack in the woods. And we're like, well, yeah, that is a fine lesson, I suppose. But that's missing a lot of what's going on in this story, right? Here's, here's a quick, this, this whole sermon has got to be, we're in a car together and we're going to get to the destination and I'm going to be able to point to things out the window while we're driving along and we can't stop and get out and talk about it, unfortunately. So there's going to be a couple things that you're going to be like, that's really quite interesting. Maybe we should stop. We can't stop. We don't have enough time. All right. Do not make the mistake of what Esau Macaulay's great theologian calls overrealized eschatology. Now, that's like way too many syllables. But what an overrealized eschatology is, is to act like the final judgment has already occurred, Jesus is victor, he's returned and set everything to right. Right? Now, this is a bit like saying, well, why would I need to worry about sin now, Sam? God, Christ is already victory, has already declared victory over sin. Well, that's true, but we also haven't kind of reached the fullness of that story, right? So it's true that Jesus has power over these things, but it is also true that they are still with us. All right? Okay. Very good. All right, moving on. So we've got to get to the context here. Hopefully, yeah, uh, excellent, new graphics. So over here on the right, we'll start with this. So this is a map of basically the area around Israel and up there, the small little lake, the Sea of Galilee. You can see across it, apparently. I wouldn't know, I've never been there, but I've heard you could, you could see across it. So the, actually, the audience for this text, obviously, is new Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, right? This is the Gospel of Mark, so probably the oldest gospel. We even have like some information that they may be performed the whole gospel of Mark at a time. They would get together in a room and, and recite the whole thing. But the other key audience for this text is Rome and Romans. 
And we know this for lots of reasons, but there's a ton of different references to Rome in there. I was going to ask if anyone had seen the movie Spartacus, but that is like from the 1970s. Yes, a few of you. There, there was, about a hundred years prior to the life of Jesus, a massive slave revolt in the Roman Empire where literally, I think as many as 10,000 former slaves were crucified on the Appian Way into Rome because they revolted against the rule of the Roman Empire. So I, I say that as a kind of reference. And now the area that they're landing in, the Gerasene area, right? This is an area that has autonomous rule, but underneath the Roman Empire. They only get to call the shots where they are because Rome says they do. All right, so have those things in mind as we're going into this story, right? Because <laughs> if I haven't convinced you already that you can't read this as, as, a, as a story that's just about an individual getting possessed and kind of going out to the tombs and being released, like, you're about to kind of be opened up to this. The most, like, present feature of Roman power would have been the Roman legion stationed in that area. And the emblem of the Roman legion stationed in that area is on the left there. Their, their emblem was a wild boar. So you put together the fact that you've got new, new Christians and Romans are the key, key audience for this. You've got a, a gigantic slave rebellion about 100 years prior that everybody would have known about. And you've got an area that is mostly run by the Romans. All right. We can, we can move forward here now. Walk through the text. All right. I'm just going to kind of walk us through, through the text here. Because we'll get to the... We pro probably have forgotten. This is supposed to be about optimistic grace. Right. You maybe have forgotten. It it's, would be understandable how you could forget, right? It's, it's getting darker the further we go on. All right, we've got the demon-possessed man, right? So just to get, wrap your arms around what this person was like, he made his home in a place that would have been viewed as unclean by the people reading this story. And... I brought this water up. I might as well use it. Not only is it unclean, it's a place of death, right? This person is out living amongst the tombs. And it would be really unwise to describe this person as doing this by choice, right? This is a person who was repeatedly bound and repeatedly broke free from binding. And who, even though they're so strong... This person has no rest. Right? It describes them as, as running to and fro amongst the tombs and on the mountainside, and people just basically stayed away from this person because they were so um, frightful. Now, the key moment here is that Jesus asks this demon what their name is. And the demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Right? Now, you already got this Roman context. But if you're a Roman soldier listening to this story, and Jesus says to a demon-possessed man, 
what is the name? What is your name, demon? And you hear, my name is Legion. It sounds like the listener to this story in Rome is hearing, I am the one who has driven this person into a tomb, who has made them strong but alienated, who has made them frightful but never resting. Now, I'll say at the end, but it's just so easy to imagine yourself as one of the disciples in the boat, right? You're like, wow, Jesus is so powerful. Jesus, hop back in the boat. We can go back over. Some people who heard this story heard themselves as the one possessing the person in the tombs, right? So that's the first thing. But what happens when this person encounters Jesus? This person who couldn't be bound, who is so frightful that he's living out in the tombs, sees Jesus from far off. This is like the story of the prodigal son, where the father sees the son from far off. Well, you've got to be looking to see something from far off. This demon-possessed man sees Jesus from far off and immediately runs to Jesus and bows down before him. This is, uh, like, amazing in its... Uh, it's, I was going to say hot takery, but it's like a really, it's a really intense thing, right? This is like a symbol of what, what we'll find out briefly if we're reading it for the first time, is a symbol of Roman power in the region is actually bowing down to Jesus immediately, right? So this terrible voice and the same hideous strength that was on its knees before Jesus this is, this is a person bowing down to someone who would later be crucified with the phrase king of the Jews above him, right? Now, this is something that we could spend the rest of the time talking about, um, but I want you to notice some, some parallel features between the demon-possessed man and Jesus. So the demoniac, this is fancy language for the demon-possessed man, the demoniac who stands for Roman worldly and demonic power is alone and in torment, and presented to Jesus, he bows down immediately. Beforehand, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is alone and tormented in the desert, tempted to bow down before Satan, because Satan will grant him all the kingdoms of the world, and he doesn't bow down. Flash forward to this episode, this demonic power rushes to Jesus and bows down before him. That is, uh, like I said, it's the upside-down upside kingdom at work, but we can't, <laughs> I can't stop the car. We have to keep going. <sighs> All right, so there's another, another feature here that's worth, worth drawing out. And that comes out even more clearly when we get to the people's response to this, this interaction. But the demon is begging Jesus not to release him. And you've got to think about it. Like, what is this person asking? Please, please, please let me continue dominating this man. And Jesus, very strangely, kind of has a, has a kind of sympathy for the devil, has a kind of mercy on the demon. Because the demon backs off the command and says, well, at least cast me into those pigs. 
Now, uh, we don't got to go back, but the boar is this symbol of the legion, right? How do you, how do you think it's going to look if a demon named legion is cast out of the person it's dominating into a herd of pigs that stands for the legion itself, and that legion destroys itself. That's pretty, that's pretty deep stuff, Jesus. I think we, this is like a pretty intense teaching about what it means for a system of oppression to be overturned, right? It has this kind of power that can't stand. Even Jesus says earlier in the book of Mark, a house divided against itself cannot stand. All right. So, after this encounter with the demon-possessed man, Jesus then casts out this demon, and it destroys this herd of pigs. Well, people are, like, really ticked that their property has been destroyed, right? These pigs meant something to somebody. They were probably used for various sacrifices in the area that would not have been, obviously, uh, Jewish sacrifices. They would have been uh, Roman and, and Greek influenced sacrifices. They were probably, they, if they weren't used for that, they were used to feed Roman legions. So they're, they're ticked off. What do the people do? They freak out and they run back to town and they're like, what has gone on? So the first thing you might notice is just that these people might be responding to the sheer power of Jesus, right? They, this person who is completely bound, who is, was too strong to be, to be kept in binding, has broken free over and over, and yet immediately when presented with this man, bows down and is set free. They see this whole thing unwind. And so I think it's very normal for us to think this is just about the sheer power of Jesus, which you should pay attention to that. But you should also pay attention to the fact that this is a sign that the system that kept this man in the tombs, the thing which stands for his oppression, this legion, has been disrupted, right? There's this set of relationships. This man who was in the tomb who was not well has been made well again, and this destroyed the pigs. All right, I'm running out of time. I've got to think about my timer. All right, so these people run back, and when they come back, this man is, is sitting in his right mind, and they retell the story. And the man who's been released has totally, he, he's just in love with Jesus after this, right? He wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus, I'm not sure why, but Jesus wants him to stay. Right? He wants him to be reunited with his friends and family back in the Decapolis, and he wants them to share the story, which I think is, is beautiful in, a, in an important way. He goes back to try to be with, with community. Now, I just walked you through this text, had to, you know, kind of gave us some context, gave us some thinking about this kind of stuff, but you probably are still like, this is a sermon about optimistic grace. Like, what does this have to do with me, right? Like, this is like Roman stuff. I'm not a legionnaire. I don't, like, what's the deal? Like, I don't, Sam, you're giving me all this nice exegesis, but, like, I don't know what the point of it is. As much as our country works on freedom and love and equality, it also works 
on greed and lust and power and inequality. Now, half the room, I'm sure, thinks, you know, it's, it's too antiquated to be talking about demons, Sam. Like, why are you, like, talking about demons? This is so silly. This is so old. And the other half of the room is like, this is way too woke for you to be talking about systems of oppression. Like, why would you bring up slavery like this? This is so silly. But I'm trying to repeat the point of the story. This story shows that the power and love of Jesus gives us reason to believe that grace can disrupt even the most oppressive systems. Even systems that, are, that we rely on for worldly power that embody these kinds of things. And, and note that chains could not hold this man. It was Jesus that set him free. That that same power, the world's power, could not contain this evil. All right. Again, it doesn't complete the story. This person is not, the story didn't end with this person being freed. It, it ends with this person going back to a community which he had been expelled from and tied up and sent into the tombs. He goes back to preach the gospel of Jesus. The first person to preach the gospel, it's worth saying. We need more than to leave this graveyard, right? We need, we need more than that. We need, also need to build these relationships of community. And that is why Love Chapel Hill aims to be marked by optimistic grace. It's because we believe that people can be liberated from what dominates them and brought into a community of people who draw near and who see the importance of building a community. Even after older systems have been disrupted. Right? It's, it's not enough just to free people from what has controlled them. It's also good to have dinner parties and have the story and have Sunday morning and have lots of different community groups and to have gatherings where we gather with other churches and build these communities, right? It doesn't actually replace an old system, a system that was an oppressive and dividing and alienating system. It's not enough to get rid of that system. You also have to cultivate a variety of relationships. All right. I'm, I'm just about to be over time, so I have to make sure that I give you some homework. I know. I've said, I've said enough about how to like understand this passage, or one way to understand this passage. I know there are others. So I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, which is dangerous because you might fall asleep. I want you to imagine that instead of crossing the Sea of Galilee... Jesus is crossing the Jordan Lake. Now, I don't want you to answer now. I want you to think. This is not a graded assignment. You just are reflecting. Jesus gets out of his boat. Maybe it's a kayak this time. And is immediately presented with someone who cannot be bound, but who immediately runs to Jesus and asks, Please have mercy on me. And Jesus 
asks, what is your name? Now, this is the part where you don't need to answer, but I need you to think. Jesus is crossing Jordan Lake, and they're presented with a demon-possessed man. I wonder what the name of that demon would be. I do not think it would be Legion anymore. And while we're at it, hopefully you're not thinking you're riding up in the boat with Jesus. Perhaps it's, it's possible you're the man who needs to be freed. Now for me, I have a whole lot of privilege in my life. It's much more likely that I am the Roman soldier who's listening to this story and is about to hear my own name come out of the demon-possessed man's mouth. All right. I'm going to pray. And I know Justin will come up. Jesus, we are so thankful that you have power to overcome any system of oppression. We're asking for help that we might be optimistic, so optimistic that you could overturn the power of an entire empire. Lord, just as, just as easily as we could end up making our life among the tombs, you invite us to a such, such more beautiful place, a place like the table where we're alive and connected to one another. Help us remember that both the demon-possessed man and the Roman soldier at the end of Mark, Lord, they both recognize you as the Son of God. Even these people who are so far from the truth, Lord, they can see you. And surely we can recognize you as well. I pray that we'd feel free to pursue a communion with you and with each other, Lord, at this table. Amen. Y'all, I just want to hold this space the space of envisioning where we are in the story. This Sam did an excellent job of just pulling back the layers and layers of this story. And going back to what he said at the beginning, God is in the room. God is in you. And he may be revealing something to you in this moment, and we just want to create that space to process that. That maybe you are finding yourself as the person in isolation, the person disconnected, the person pushed to the margins, beyond the margins. And in that, to recognize that Jesus has come to you to bring freedom. To bring freedom from whatever it is that is holding you in that place. 
whether it is a system, whether it is an addiction, whether it is relationship, anything that is bringing a sense of separation between you and your creator, the one who made you in his very image. He's prepared to bring, bring freedom to you in this place. We acknowledge that it is a myth, it is a lie that God can be far from you. Because as Sam said, God is in you. He placed his image within you. He loves you. So if you are sensing the need for that freedom in your own life today, if you are encountering Jesus maybe for the first time today, if you're encountering a sense of need for him in a new way today, this is space for you. And we want to join with you and walk with you in that. For some of you, there may be a revelation also of your place in the systemic oppression that continues within our world today. That maybe there is a practice, maybe there is a behavior, maybe there is something, even our purchasing habits, right, can affect the enslavement of people today. And optimistic grace says <laughs> that even in that, God will meet you and he will show you a way that is better. A way of love, a way of embrace that is conscious of our actions the things that we do that affect other people and push them to the margins. Push them as far as a place of death. If the Lord is re revealing something in that vein to you today, we want to meet you in that. Because he's already with you. He's in you. He sees it and knows it. There is nothing that is hidden. We can try to hide. And y'all, we can think we are good at hiding. But he sees it all. And even in seeing it all, he says, I've got you. And I have a way for you to find freedom. And that way is to join me at my table. That the Lord invites each and every one of us to his table to sit together in community. Whether we are fighting the demons of addiction, whether we are fighting the demons of an oppressive society that holds us in a place of isolation,
says, come to the table. See what I have done. That we join with the disciples in that moment. To remember that Jesus went to the cross to make a way for us to find freedom. That his body was broken and his blood was poured out. And so there's an invitation to you today to come to the table. As we come, our servers are ready, Chris and Tiana. They'll tear off a piece of bread for you and you dip it in the cup. As you take that bread dipped in the juice, we taste and see that he is good and good enough to go all the way to the margins to find us. And all the way to the place of breaking those systems of oppression that put us there in the first place. You know, I'm going to be over here. If you are just sensing the Lord stirring in you, maybe you're encountering him in a way that you haven't before and you just want to make sense of it, I'm going to be over here and I would love to pray with you. We invite you to come to the table today encounter the grace that he has poured out that goes to the furthest reaches. There's no place too far, no matter where you have gone, no matter where you have been, he sees you. And he's ready to meet with you again today. So come to the table.